Future of Film Summit is taking place at BFI South Bank on 26th of November, and tickets are now on general sale at futureoffilm.live. Film has undergone massive disruption in recent years, and the old business models and structures are just not working anymore. But there are now incredible new opportunities too. Transformative technologies, cutting-edge commercial strategies and creative techniques that are literally revolutionising the entire film ecosystem. Future of Film Summit is designed for filmmakers, producers and industry who want to understand these shifts and learn how to incorporate them into their creative and business practice. The summit will feature incredible world-class speakers from across film, tech, and interactive, including creative players behind works like Star Wars Episode Nine, Ad Astra, and Black Mirror Bandersnatch. And that includes visionary designer Alex Modell, VFX legend Tim Weber, and award-winning artist Karen Palmer. But the summit is not just about big Hollywood movies and TV shows. It's about independent filmmakers taking advantage of these same tools and techniques and how you and they can unlock new forms of finance and brand funding. There are also hosts of exciting hands-on learning opportunities with demos of the latest tech including the chance to experience Magic Leap and intensive workshops on virtual production, well building and much more. And if that's not enough we will be hosting the brand pitch create competition where you can pitch your project to a panel of brand funding experts so that's future of film summit 26th of november more information and tickets available now at futureoffilm.live don't miss this incredible opportunity to be part of shaping the future of film Hello and welcome to Film Disruptors Season 3. Thanks for joining me. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is the podcast where I share insights and strategies from the trailblazers who are shaping the future of film. And my guest today is one of the most respected players in US independent distribution, Janet Brown. Janet is now EVP Distribution at Gunpowder and Sky, the fast-growing independent studio that is creating and distributing content across multiple formats and platforms. I spoke to Janet recently from her New York offices about Gunpowder and Sky and what exactly a studio looks like that is designed ground up for today's entertainment landscape. This is a fascinating insight not only into Gunpowder and Sky, but also today's shifting consumer world and the new routes to market that now exist for storytellers. We also talk about the future and recent history of distribution. Janet provides a brilliant summary of the recent changes in the market, as well as her role in these changes and journey at FilmBuff the company she co-founded and built the Gunpowder and Sky subsequently acquired in 2016. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a few ways to stay up to date. You can subscribe 
on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or any of your major podcast platforms. You can also sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors, which is alexstoltz.com, S-T-O-L-Z. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening. And now please enjoy this conversation with Janet Brown. And I started the show by asking Janet about Gunpowder and Sky and where the name of the company comes from. Well, it's from an Amy Mann song called Fourth of July. It's a lyric from that song. And Van Toffler, um, who started the company with Floris Bauer, uh, Van obviously ran MTV for a good long while um and his music is near and dear to his heart so it is only appropriate <laughs> that we would our name would be rooted in a lyric um but yeah you know and it also i think it just as far as a mission statement goes i think we're you know what does it look like to create a studio that's from and for this era as opposed to everything else that we're seeing right now with studios from, um, you know, the earlier part of the 20th century or even the latter part of the 20th century, trying to reshape their organizations, their people, their distribution networks, their deals that reshape their entire business model to fit um, to fit what's going on with content. Now, we actually set out to start a studio that is designed from the ground up for how content's happening now and the name gunpowder and sky kind of implies like you know we're going for it so (laughs) it's either gonna work or it's gonna gloriously fail but we're not really uh we're not aiming for some halfway so uh uh that's it's all of that mission is kind of embodied in the name love it uh shooting shooting skywards and that's it uh, and uh, so t- that, that's fascinating. So tell me then, what does a film media company designed from the ground up look like today? Because this is something which I'm, oh, I'm fascinated in. I'm sure a lot of people are, because it feels like a lot of, a, like you say, a lot of companies which are in the market today were designed for a, a different, a different era. So tell me, what does that look like, and how does that affect your role? So I think first, first and foremost, um, the company is set up as an independent studio. So studio implying that we do everything from originating and developing content through to financing, producing, selling, marketing, and distributing all the way through. So the first thing that it implies is that kind of soup to nuts functionality. The Second thing is um, the kind of content. So, given that we are we are set up now, or the it's it's a format agnostic company, and I think in the early days we kind of always said ninety seconds to ninety minutes. But 
really, who knows? I mean, even now that sounds a little bit limiting when you're talking about series and all kinds of different forms of, of episodic content. So really the way that we just see it is that we are format agnostic. So we find a great story and whatever the right format is, is the format that's going to make sense. And then from there, it also comes the sales and distribution and marketing plan, because if the format that makes sense is a kind of traditional feature, 90 minutes or two hours, what have you, then that's going to imply a certain set of sales and distribution partners. And if the format that makes sense is, you know, a series of five minutes, seven minute shorts, then there's another set of sales and distribution partners that might make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And what, tell me, give me a sense of what kind of formats you're, you, you're, you're working with. Are you, are we talking, you know, short form? I mean, yeah. Are you going into immersive stuff, interactive? So, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the short answer is yes. Um, so, you know, right now we have a number of shows that we're producing with Quibi. So, you know, obviously that's on the kind of shorter, shorter end of things. Mm-hmm. We have um, more traditional TV shows that we're setting up. We have a show that we've done with MTV. We have a couple of more shows that we're setting up right now that are more kind of traditional episodic lengths. Mm-hmm. And of course we have features. So those kind of run the gamut from, you know, everything over an hour to things that are even over two hours. So it really, it really kind of depends, like, what is the story going to be? Where is the audience for it? And, and kind of backing into what's going to be the right way uh, and the best way to format the content to reach the audience that you're trying to reach. And I think that's like so exciting because if you kind of compare it to traditional studio business, um, let's say, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and let's just look at the traditional studio movie business for a second. Like the first thing you were starting with was really kind of the talent. What was the talent going to tell you? But the talent was already thinking in the format of a feature. And now working with such young creators and all these emerging creators that we're dedicated to working with, we have that same sort of starting principle. Okay, we're looking for the talent, but then working with the talent to figure out without any preconceived notion that it's going to be a feature or not a feature, working with the talent to figure out what is the right format and what is the right budget and what's going to make sense. And right from that very early development stage, like working with the talent to figure out what's the best format to tell their story. And that's just such an interesting differentiator. And and I think if you're a young creator now, it's just so great to know, like you don't have to be beholden to any particular way to tell the story that you have or stories that you have. Are these, are these creators like in-house or or, or do do you have like a roster of directors or anything like that? Or or is it literally um, people presenting new ideas yeah you know i think um i feel we've been around just just long enough now that we kind of have a two-way street so there's obviously folks that that we're seeing whose work we're seeing whether it's a short or a first feature what have you where we're like oh that's great we want to we would love to work with that person and also we're you know slowly after the first three years of our existence establishing our own reputation And people are coming to us and figuring out, okay, the kind of content that we like to do is maybe the the kind of content that they're doing or they have a similar similar approach. And I think 
you know, I can just use as an example right now a show that we've got with Quibi called 50 States of Fright. And um, it's, you know, kind of going, there's a story for each of the, each of the 50 states. Um, and it's kind of a true, true story or a myth or what have you, a kind of urban legend from, or, or a legend from that state. And we explore it. Um, and the whole series is, um, we've got Sam Raimi attached as kind of EPing the whole series. And then for each episode, we've obviously got an array of, of different talent. And so it's this amazing combination of kind of very experienced talent who can almost act as mentors for new folks coming up. And Quibi is a great platform and the format's a great format to kind of have that combination of experience and new voices. Wow. And your role, Janet, is uh, is head of distribution or e- EVP of distribution. I think is your, your title. Tell me, well, tell me about <laughs> if I got that right. Firstly, and also, what does that what does what does that job look like now when you're when you're dealing with Queeby, you're dealing with MIP, you're going to Toronto. Are you literally having to be across all of these different um, routes to market? So, um, well, you know, job titles are job titles. So (laughs) I guess it it has whatever meaning you put into it. But I mean, I guess your question is really around like, what does distribution mean? Um, And it would just be, I guess, really long if all of us listed everything we did in our job title, acquisitions and marketing and sales and, uh, you know, distribution and international distribution and all of that. But it is true that that all of those things are encompassed in distribution. So, um, yes. So on uh, on the, the side of the house that I'm responsible for, we get involved in everything that's acquisition stage, which could mean co-financing, co-producing. It's basically post-package. So once there's kind of a package created or almost created is when we're going to take a look at it. Um, And my colleagues in LA that are on the originals and development side, they're looking at stuff really from scratch. So right from an idea, right from a pitch. On the distribution side, we take a look at it once it's already kind of in a package state where we can evaluate the commercial prospects. So yes, that'll that'll mean that we get involved um, either when something's getting ready to go to market. It might mean a pre-buy. It might mean backstops. It might mean um, outright kind of coming on for global distribution. It really depends on the project and what stage we see it at. Yeah. So you so it's pretty f- flexible in that respect. So sometimes you take on something where you have global rights and you yeah. then portion that off and, and 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 go and you know sell some territories or or whatever and then in the in domestically you know in the US are you well again i guess it varies depends on what the format but for say just the theatr- thinking about feature stuff now are you distributing theatrically in the US yeah. So we actually are just kind of coming to the end of a of our theatrical window on a film called Villains that we picked up at South by this year. Um, stars Jeffrey Donovan, Kira Sedgwick, uh, Bill Skarsgård and Micah Monroe. And it's a very funny kind of they're two couples, Micah Monroe and, and Bill Skarsgård are a young couple and the other two are the older one. And the young couples like on the run and breaks into a house that the older ones 
older ones live in and you first think the young ones are the crazy ones and then you realize actually the older couple is <laughs> really truly the villain so it's it's a good fun um it's actually the the first feature release that we have done from our horror label alter um and so that has got a traditional 90-day window uh, we opened it about a month ago in partnership with Regal. We've rolled out to a number of other chains uh, across the country, and we're kind of winding that down now. So that's a kind of traditional release pattern. Um, we are releasing a documentary about the late rapper Little Peep in November, and that is going to have a much shorter theatrical. We're combining it with fan screenings. We're doing a very different approach on that one. Um, and that'll that'll be going to digital a few weeks after it hits theaters. And the theatrical approach is very much about catering to the fan, his fans. So again, it really depends on the material. Earlier this year, we did um, we released a film called Her Smell, starring Liz Moss, and uh, and we and that one had probably about five weeks of theatrical before we went to digital. And uh, at the start of the year, we released a film called Lords of Chaos, directed by Jonas Ackerland, about all the chaos of the, the black metal bands that were um, in Norway in the 90s and the church burnings and all kinds of craziness around that, based on, based on those true stories. And that we did two weeks of theatrical. Um, so again, it really depends on the material. We evaluate it every time and we kind of customize our approach, um, even on just the feature side, as I'm running through these examples, even on the feature side, we're customizing exactly how we're going to release it, what the windowing is going to be. Mm. What's the, what's theatrical like at the moment in the States? How, how challenging, I guess, is it to, to get independent movies out and, and, and succeed in that? space oh it's super easy you just put it in the theater for the lineup round yeah i mean much has been written uh, about you know the difficulties of it and i think the interesting thing is um it's a it's a little bit of a two-edged sword because on the one hand uh you know, we were sort of seeing before that content wasn't going into the theaters at all from a lot of the streamers, Netflix and uh, in particular. But now we're clearly seeing that that um, Amazon has long been kind of, you know, p putting their content in theaters before going to the platform. And they're being much more open now about their also they're taking a customized approach. So sometimes they might have a film go straight to prime. Sometimes they might put it in theaters. They're also um, having fun, it looks like, experimenting with the windows. And Netflix has gone from barely putting things in theaters in less uh, force to to also it looks like now they might be having a little bit more kind of strategy and logic and more openness around what windowing might make sense for the films. And obviously a lot of that, if not, well, almost all of it, is tied to awards runs. But I mean that's half the year at this point. So if that means that audiences are having a chance to see films in the theaters and then, you know, see it later in their own home, that's not so different from how it used to be. And I think offering people the chance to see it. Yeah. Not every film really looks great or needs a big screen, but some films do. Some films it's just more fun to see it that way. And, and it's great to have that choice. And I think all of us are trying to offer that choice. Um, you know, and if you look at a film like little peep, 
our orientation there is so much for the fans. The fans want to get together. We're releasing that film on the second anniversary of his death, and the fans are looking for a chance to get together and be together. So of course we're gonna we're gonna put it in theaters, and we're having a pretty uh, special approach to how we do that. But of course we're providing a place for them to gather, and that might be an extreme example, but. Depending on the film, it is, you know, it, it can be more of a communal experience or something that warrants seeing it in a different way, better sound, better, bigger screen, whatever. How uh, do, do, does, does Gunpowder on the Sky have like a direct relationship with consumers? Do you, is that something you're sort of looking to build up? Obviously, Netflix and Amazon have that direct relationship. Is that on the agenda is that something you you have a gunpowder and sky community or is it more like a behind the scenes relationship thanks for asking alex um and i um it's such an important part of part of what we're doing i um i didn't mention it in sort of my soup to nuts rundown earlier on um, but the answer is yes. So we have right now two direct-to-consumer brands, if if you don't count um, Gunpowder and Sky itself. So one is Alter, which I mentioned before in the context of villains, yeah. is our horror brand. And then um, we have a very uh, passionate audience around our sci-fi brand, which is Dust. So... And we're about to, we're, we have a few more coming up um, and you can sort of think about the, the logical spaces, but there's going to be, we're going to be introducing a few more brands, uh, one more before the end of the year and around kind of similar fan oriented um, genre, genre kind of themes. Um, and the exciting part, I guess, is that the brands are themselves kind of ecosystems, right? So we could put a brand on a feature like we did with Villains or in the case of Dust, we our first uh, film we released under Dust was called Prospect that we did last year. So we have that. They are also, if you go check them out, watch Alter or watch Dust, you will see that they're very vibrant and engaged communities around the short films that we program weekly or by like twice a week, sometimes three times a week on each of those channels where we're talking to the audience, speaking to fans, we're putting up shorts from first time filmmakers, we're seeing how they do, we're getting response from the audience. The audience also is often filmmakers, so it's this wonderful virtuous circle. Um, and of course, from those shorts, we are mining those for development. So we might be looking at developing series or developing features um, from those shorts. And in fact, some of that is happening is happening right now in terms of projects that were originally shorts on one of the channels that are being set up. Uh, for larger scale productions. Um, we're also uh, launching podcasts. So there are series oh, that we I have. I love, love podcasts. Yeah, I, I've heard that. <laughs> That's all the rage these days. Yeah. Um, but it's really ecosystems, right? So it's like we're talking to fans, sci-fi fans or horror fans, and then it's a question of where do we reach them? And then we, we have all these different ways of, of doing it, whether it's with features or series or podcasts or the shorts or the social channels or, or what have you. So really everything we're doing is kind of under, under one or more of these brands. And we, we actually see it as like, this is possibly, I think the, 
most effective and responsible way to be distributing in that you already kind of are talking to your audience. Because if you look at the way that distribution was done traditionally, distributors just like starting from the ground up, yeah. building a campaign, and you're rebuilding the wheel every single time. Obviously, some distributors do a better job of retargeting the same audience. Um, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, retargeting just like made no sense. But now literally you are. You can market to fans of a movie you released if you know that it, there's going to be a lot of common ground with a new one. And in our case, we're doing it around the brands. So if we, we already know what our sci-fi community likes. So when we are evaluating original projects or evaluating acquisitions, we're doing so in light of knowing that we have a built-in audience and knowing what that audience likes and doesn't like. And we can then immediately apply that audience that we're growing, that we're growing every day. We're talking to every day of the year. We can then point that audience to particular projects or or films or whatever, and kind of share that with them, and and obviously grow beyond them, but have them as kind of a core audience for the project. And I think that brings just obviously a ton of momentum. It helps evaluate the projects, and again, it kind of creates this great circle where you're not just sort of throwing up content and hoping it works. We know that it's going to work for our audience and then hope to grow it beyond there. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. It really makes sense. And uh, just, just a clarification, where did pe- where these channels for Ultra and Dust of Eight are they YouTube channels? When the so you can check out you can check out both of them. Watchalter.com and okay. watch a l t e r and watch Dust. Um, so yes, they're very vibrant communities on YouTube, on Facebook. You can check them out on the social channels. And then um, we obviously have a full OTT strategy where we're launching linear versions. So by the end of the year, well, already you can find um, Dust in its kind of OTT format on Samsung, on Roku. Um, and we're launching on all of the other kind of OTT platforms, whether it's Apple, Amazon, um, all the other kind of likely suspects by the end of the year. And that is going to be a, a, um, a linear version of this, of the dust channel. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with film distribution expert, Janet Brown. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. In this section, Janet talks about how she built her company, Film Buff, which was then acquired by Gunpowder and Sky. Film buff, let's see, it probably we ran that for the better part of a decade. And it when we first started it, um, digital distribution was just starting. So like it just was becoming a thing that people were watching movies on Netflix or paying for them on iTunes. And um, that, like, you know, when we started, we were still getting paid, um, getting paid for DVDs based on the views by, by Netflix. And we were still getting reporting on how many people watched our movies when we licensed them to Netflix, which we all know now is, um, not, (laughs) not generally provided. Um, so certainly much changed. I think the, um, there was, I guess a first wave where everyone was like, 
oh, you know, I got to get my movies on iTunes. I got to get my movies on Netflix. And it was a, you know, everyone was like, how do I do that? And so half our business came from traditional folks that didn't have a digital setup where we were kind of their digital back office. And then increasingly, and then the other half of our business and eventually all of it came from uh, filmmakers who were realizing that the kind of traditional bottlenecks that existed um, for getting your film picked up let's say for a, for an MG by a studio distributor at a festival, it used to be that there was just no way if your film wasn't picked up at Sundance, they would, you were never going to have it seen. And so film buff and a few other companies were obviously starting to offer options for those filmmakers kind of for the next tier down. It's like, okay, you didn't get you know, the $15 million offer from Fox searchlight. There still is an opportunity to get your film out. And so that was really a, um, I would say kind of phase one of this sort of let a thousand flowers bloom or whatever the right analogy is with all these folks who previously didn't have a chance at distribution, having a chance at distribution. And it was great. And, um, really, I think a wonderful time to be a filmmaker and to get your films out there. And it was this kind of openness. And that was back when, you know, Netflix was known for having all kinds of indie films and less for high profile original series. Um, and the job of the platforms was really helping to curate, curate a lot of these indie films and offer audiences a chance to see content that they otherwise didn't have any way of seeing. So that was all kind of 2009, 2010, 11, 12-ish. Then I think that I would, most people would say the peak of that market was somewhere around 2013 um, as far as having consumers pay for and buy digital content on platforms like iTunes or Amazon or Google or Xbox or what have you. And then there started to be a shift and that shift really started with the original content that was being developed first by Netflix, but then by the other streamers. And there started to be a change in how budgets were allocated. And it became clear that the budget that was gonna be allocated to third party content was increasingly declining and the budget that was going to be allocated to originals if you were a streamer was increasing and that meant for independent distributors um it there was a kind of it was much harder to make money so it used to be we could just sell a lot of films to to netflix or to amazon or to these folks once they'd gone through their original window on iTunes or their transactional window where people were paying. But that kind of was becoming increasingly difficult. And some distributors um, just went out of business right then and there because they had such a large proportion of their revenue coming from Netflix. We never did. I was always very conscious of being overly dependent <laughs> on one buyer, but it was clearly a trend that was happening. And then there was a second trend right behind that, which was that the more that the studios and the, the more that that was happening with the streamers, it became clear the streamers were going to become the new studios. And so when I was looking at the future for Film Buff, the prospects of being an independent distributor without any IP ownership and not within one of the new studio systems, to me, didn't look like a smart place to be. Um, I thought it was going to be increasingly hard to get IP and that it would be very difficult to pick up content without either owning it in the first place or writing a large check. Uh, that ended up being true. Um, and so I sold, I, you know, it, around that time, 2015, 2014, 
I was trying to take a bet on what the new studios were going to be. Um, obviously, AT&T had not announced that it was going to be buying Warner, but AT&T had announced a entity called Otter Media that was a JV between Peter Chernin and AT&T. And to me, that indicated a good deal of future forward thinking in terms of content. So I approached Otter Media and that um, and then I kind of and this was even before Gunpowder was uh, announced or even created. And so that conversation had started that way. And then um, then Gunpowder was created and the acquisition kind of went through through Gunpowder. But I think the lesson is in this industry and I guess in all fast changing industries, having a view on what is happening in your industry and how your business model is going to be standing up given all the strategic changes and just making sure that you're going to be in a position where your business model will be working and if not change it so that you're not stuck with a kind of antiquated business model and the world changing around you. So for that reason, we ended up, uh, yes, selling film buff to gunpowder and integrating our capabilities and our library into an entity that was going to be positioned for this new future. And just after the film buff acquisition was announced a month later, the time Warner acquisition was announced. So it all ended up, uh, it all ended up working out from, from film buff to time Warner, Alex, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's well, fascinating over, overview, Janet. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. Uh, and so, so strategic. Uh, I love it. Uh, but t- t- tell me, um, this idea where, you know, for filmmakers going direct to their audience, which was something film buff, you know, could, could assist with, is that still, do you think that's still like a viable option? I think it's even more so. I mean, you know, one of the things that we're so proud of and we work so hard to do is provide a great environment for filmmakers with dust and with alter. Like 10 years ago, if you were a short filmmaker, you were basically doing nothing with that short and hoping that somehow it got into a festival or in some meeting, someone realized it was a calling card and kind of trusted you with a, with a feature or a series or whatever it was you were trying to do. But now it's dust and alter. I, I mean, I, I could be biased, um, but I think it's just such a fantastic opportunity. If you're if you're a filmmaker with a horror or sci-fi film, and as I say, we're going to be launching more. So if you have other genres of content, we'll be open to those too. Um, but it's such an amazing place to have someone. Uh, put your short up in a context where people are looking at it and evaluating it, seeing how it does, seeing whether it connects with an audience. And then you have the ability to say, my short did connect with the audience. We might look at how it's connecting and say, hey, we're interested. Would you like to develop into a feature? We may be helping you set it up uh, somewhere else. Or you might be, as a filmmaker, taking the statistics and the kind of experience that you have from the film on one of our channels and using that as like a proof of concept when you go to other meetings. And it's it's just arming you with stuff in such a good way that you're able to really contextualize the success of your short and prove that it has an audience. And I and I think that um, given how easy and how low production costs are now, if you combine that with this kind of distribution outlet that Duster Alter provide, then you really are in a great place to 
be moving on and saying, look, I've done it. I've got this short. You take your success and then you go on to do the next the next um, the next thing that you're looking to do. And I think that's a unique thing now that didn't exist before. Um, and I think we're seeing less kind of feature films that are done without a knowledge of the audience and more kind of rational filmmakers that are thinking ahead of time, where's my audience? What's it, what's it going to be? And if you've gone through the kind of short um, journey with us or someone else, you really do know your audience and you're able to bring that to a potential financier and give them that kind of comfort. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a really helpful uh, route to, for people to think about and that's, and to clearly think about your audience and, 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 plan ahead that way does um gunpowder and sky uh, in terms of thinking about the finance or thinking about partners do you work with brands in terms of brands funding stories and content so that we have i mean certainly as um film buff we did a great deal in that area and we are um, at Gunpowder also kind of open to that and exploring it as it makes sense for different pieces of content. I think, you know, it's interesting because this, the idea of brands funding content has been going on for so long. I think I distributed my first piece, my first movie that was financed by a brand. It was a, um, a movie called Truth in 24 from Audi about the Le Mans racing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I did that in like 2009 or 10 and everyone was like, Oh, this is the beginning brands. All contents can be funded by brands. And obviously that hasn't happened (laughs) and it continues to be like a kind of sporadic, um, thing that happens sometimes. Although I think, but I've said this before, so I'm no doubt wrong again, but it does feel like there is a kind of mounting, momentum for it. And to me, it just makes so much sense, similar to the strategy as for Dustin Alter. If you have a brand, call it, uh, you know, call it Burger King or, or, or call it dust. In either case, you have a brand that has a social presence. That's for, that's talking to their audience 365 days a year, right there. You are already bringing efficiencies to marketing anything else through those channels, be it a movie, be it a show, whatever it is. If you're going to be targeting that same audience and you can activate it through existing social channels, that's you're already a step ahead, if not five steps ahead. So it, it makes a ton of sense. I think there's a number of brands now that that we've been having conversations with that are looking at kind of moving from high quality shorter form content like some brands have been getting you know really good kind of youtube videos and leaning more towards five minutes of content instead of 30 seconds and the brands that have been you know kind of doing that for a few years are now exploring bigger and bolder horizons and then there's brands that have been in this business for years like patagonia has been sponsoring features and surf stories and all kinds of stuff for years and doing a fantastic job of it and you know, at least in in my experience, the brands that are proving to have the most appetite for it and don't just get in and get out are the ones that really have something to say and that have they're not just trying to sell a coffee or a coat or whatever. They're they actually have a brand that's associated with a bigger mission and they are using longer form content to really communicate the larger brand values that are otherwise very difficult 
to communicate in a print ad or a traditional 30 second spot. What, what are you excited about at the moment, Janet, in terms of projects and gunpowder and sky? What's, I mean, there's obviously it's so much variety you're talking about, but what, what are you really, uh, yeah, what do you, what do you get up in the morning and think I really want to get on with this project? Um, that is like, you know, it's funny. It's like that question is one where it's like, it's, it's such an exciting space to be in. I think that's the thing. Like whether it's, I mean, there's, I'm excited about every project that we do, but the thing that I enjoy the most is the way in which we combine the different capabilities that we have for a given story. And that kind of uh, magic every time. When, when you look at the capabilities that are available today, whether we have them or we partner with them, we have them in-house, whatever the combination is, and we combine that set of capabilities with a really great story. Whether it's a story we bought, we developed, we are co-financing, whatever it is, putting those two things together is a puzzle that is I mean, that, that is the puzzle of distribution. That, that's the puzzle that you do. And figuring it out each time, how do we optimize every possible capability that we can think of, whether we own it or not, with whichever piece of IP we find inspirational and putting those things together and make one plus one equal five. That is what's so exciting. And I think having the capabilities expand on what feels like an almost hourly basis right now, whether they're our own capabilities that we're doing or, or whether it's just the increased range of partners that are excited to be working with us or that we're seeking out, that's, I think, what makes this industry such, such an interesting one. And we already touched on them, whether it's the B2C channels that studios have, whether it's brands that are coming, all the different traditional sources of financing, the way some traditional exhibitors are starting to think differently, whether, you know, whether it's a TV buyer who's starting to think differently or, or a theatrical distributor, everybody is realizing that change is now and reevaluating their business models and being excited to partner in ways that they weren't before and bringing and kind of harnessing that power on behalf of, of a project or projects is um, really exciting and, and something that we're doing not just here, obviously, but internationally. We're seeing that kind of excitement and, and willingness to partner. Awesome. Is a, would you say it's like a DNA to a Gunpowder and Sky a story project, whether it's long, short form? Well, I think we, we um, you know, I guess we kind of started our conversation today with this, but the company has a built-in appetite for risk. Um, we built it into the name and we build it into the kind of content that we are doing. We're, we're not going after kind of quiet or, or safe content. We are going after stuff that we think says something. We like, we like the creator. We like the story. We think there's something passionate there. It's bold. It's a little bit offbeat. We, we are really speaking to younger audiences. So we are looking for content that's going to connect with younger audiences that'll benefit from the way in which we're marketing and, and focusing on the way that we bring content to market. Um, yeah, yeah. But like loud, having fun, experimenting. I think the most important thing for us is that the creator or filmmaker be open to doing that with us 
you know, because if if someone is not going to be open to kind of having fun and partnering and thinking it through and be be kind of experimenting with how we approach it, whether in the in the early stages or in the later stages of distribution, then it's not going to be then it won't really work. And I think fundamentally in this industry, it always comes down to the partnerships that you have with the talent and filmmakers and just collaborating. And through a great collaboration, you're able to take advantage of all all of these things that we've been talking about. That sounds like an amazing opportunity. And just uh, finally, because I know we're I know we're running out of time, but I'd like talking about filmmakers and creators. I'd like to ask uh, the my the question I ask all my guests on film disruptors, which is what would be your advice janet to an emerging storyteller someone who wants to create work in this new landscape and are just getting started what would you say to that person um know who you're trying to reach so I think like understanding who you're trying to reach with your story. So obviously, you know, your story, you love your story. It's close to your heart. You've been crafting it for a while and know who it is that you want to see your story and then work backwards because that enables you to figure out all the partners that you're going to need. I think one of the difficult things is when you feel like you have to boil the ocean to find somewhere to finance it or to market or distribute. But if as a filmmaker, you're like, this is my story and here's the, here are the people that I really want to have respond to it. It helps you go from boiling the ocean to having a very strategic plan of attack through who you want to talk to for potential financiers and distribution. Um, And that I think just really enables not only quicker yeses, but, perhaps more beneficially quicker knows. Um, and if you know your audience and you've gone to all the potential people that can reach that audience and they've all said no, you can move on to the next story much faster. Um, and I think in this day and age, there's no excuse not to. And who knows, you can come back to the original story next year. <laughs> but I think it's it's such a way now with everyone thinking with all the financiers and distributors and everyone being open to doing things in new ways, it's a great time for a filmmaker who knows their audience to get in front of those people and make the pitch. And we're all open to, we're all open to hearing a great story. No matter what's going on in the industry, I have a firm belief a great story always rises to the top. So that was my conversation with EVP of distribution at Gunpowder and Sky, Janet Brown. And if you want to find out more about Janet or any of our previous guests or stay in touch, you can do all of this at the home of film disruptors, alexstoltz.com. So that's it for this episode. I'd just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. Future of Film Summit is taking place at BFI South Bank on 26th of November, and tickets are now on general sale at futureoffilm.live. Film has undergone massive disruption in recent years, and the old business models and structures are just not working anymore. But there are now incredible new opportunities too, 
transformative technologies, cutting edge commercial strategies and creative techniques that are literally revolutionizing the entire film ecosystem. Future of Film Summit is designed for filmmakers, producers and industry who want to understand these shifts and learn how to incorporate them into their creative and business practice. The summit will feature incredible world-class speakers from across film, tech, and interactive, including creative players behind works like Star Wars Episode Nine, Ad Astra, and Black Mirror Bandersnatch. And that includes visionary designer Alex Modell, VFX legend Tim Weber, and award-winning artist Karen Palmer. But the summit is not just about big Hollywood movies and TV shows. It's about independent filmmakers taking advantage of these same tools and techniques and how you and they can unlock new forms of finance and brand funding. There are also hosts of exciting hands-on learning opportunities with demos of the latest tech including the chance to experience Magic Leap and intensive workshops on virtual production, well building and much more. And if that's not enough we will be hosting the Brand Pitch Create competition where you can pitch your project to a panel of brand funding experts. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. More information and tickets available now at futureoffilm.live. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to be part of shaping the future of film.